Think of a time when you experienced a conversation that left you with a new perspective or perhaps an inquiry, or you might have felt that something has shifted in you after that conversation. Maybe it helped you gain a new level of clarity or moved you to take action. That was a coaching conversation. Hello and welcome to The Coaching Conversation. This is your host, Salah Alethi. I am uh, here with Daniel Stillman. I am really excited to have him uh, here today. Daniel is a coach and a facilitator, an author. He's also a host of a podcast called The, the Conversation Factory. Daniel, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Salah. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, and uh, this is very exciting for me because the podcast, as I mentioned earlier, is called The Coaching Conversation. And you wrote, wrote a book on conversations and designing conversations that matter. And yes. I'm really curious about that. But uh, before I ask you about the book, what's the story? How, how has your journey unfolded to get to where you are today? Oh, man. I mean, we can go way back. <laughs> <laughs> can go as as yeah. far or as uh, close as you want. Yeah. Well, I mean, so for me with just with this idea of designing conversations and normally when people ask me, I don't know, if, by the way, do you remember parties? Do you remember going to parties? Yeah. I don't know if you liked parties or not. Seems like a long time yeah. ago. <laughs> people would always agonize about like, uh, what do I do when somebody asks me what I do, right? Mm -hmm. It can be a very confronting conversation. I remember going to a party once and I asked somebody what they did and they're like, oh, it's boring. I work in finance. And I was like, no, no, like, what do you do? And then he proceeded to like throw a bunch of acronyms at me. And I was like, that does sound pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> like he thought what he did was boring and he explained it to me in a boring way and it was boring. I think when people ask me what I do, I say I design conversations for a living, but so do you. I didn't always see my work that way. I went to industrial design school to study product design, to learn about human-centered design, to make amazing products and services for people. What Nobun really told me was that that was a conversation. When you get plopped into an innovation consultancy, there's all these conversations you have to manage. I was doing user research and uh, you user co-creation. You can't just like go into a user interview and be like, hey, so, right? You come in with a plan, right? Yeah. You are designing the conversation. When you bring your clients together, you can say, okay, so here's the slides and here's what we've done. Or you can turn that opportunity to have them in your offices into a dialogue about what they are expecting, what their dreams are, what they think of the work, what you can co-create better together. Turning that client touch point into a conversation, that's been my journey. It's only been the last five years that I've called what I do conversation design. I was lucky enough to work with a consulting group in Australia for a couple of months called Second Road. They were acquired by Accenture a couple of years back and they called their facilitative practice conversation design because they were designing conversations for groups of people to come together to think differently so that the yeah. conversation inside of the organization could shift. And so th that just really started my brain on this journey of what it, does it mean to design a conversation? What are they made of if we're designing them? How do we design them well or poorly in our lives. And maybe just because I like picking away at things, I just, I started my podcast three years ago now to just interview people on this question of like, well, how do you design your conversations? Mm. What what do you see when you want to shift them? Because some people will say like, oh, we'll just change your mindset or just change your tone. The, some things are easier to design. Some things are easier to shift than others. So yeah. in a nutshell, like I, for me, it's like design has been my arc for a long time and what design is and what we can design, what the boundaries of design are, keep shifting and expanding 
expanding. In the beginning, it was product design. And when I met my first digital product designer, I was like, you're not a product designer. Like I'm a product designer. I design products. And now product design means digital products. But then, I mean, God, what was it? 2007, eight, nine, people were like, no, no, we're designing experiences. Mm-hmm. We're not designing products. We're designing experiences. And then somebody said, no, 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 we're not designing experiences. We're actually designing services. And the service design lens suddenly changes the entire uh, conversation about what it is that you're designing, what you can design yeah. with these new eyes, you can design new things. And so to me, like giving design is about empowerment. And so saying that you're designing the conversations in your life means that you have agency to make them better, to shift them. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's, that's a big nutshell, but yeah. that's, that's some of my journey into designing conversations. There's a theme of conversation around what you have done over your journey. It's this like bringing it down to it's the granular, uh, mm-hmm. whether you're designing a product or a service or a coaching conversation, like, you know, having someone help mm. you with your ideas, it still comes down to the, the conversation. What is what is the yeah. go- conversation going to look like? Um, yes. yes. Almost unit of change. Sometimes people describe it as. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that I, I don't think, uh, or at least in my um, experience, I haven't seen many uh, leaders or companies being intentional about mm. this this idea of designing a conversation. Yes. So I, I picked up your book recently, which you published earlier this year. Congratulations yes. on, Thank you on so that. Much. And so I opened the book and the first line I read was, our lives are built on one conversation at a time. Yes. Yes. That's a very intriguing statement. Yes. yes. Did you, and it sounds like it hits you. It resonates. Do you, do you agree? disagree discuss yeah <laughs> yeah it, it definitely resonated with me i felt like you know one of the, the agile values is like around this in idea of individuals and interaction so it's it's really mm-hmm. it's about the conversation the dialogue between yes um, very much so and even if we put work aside it's it's in general conversation with anyone whether it's at work or outside of work it's still this um you know, this is how people get to connect and uh, explore um, ideas or just uh, uh, create something they, you know, something that that happens during that dialogue. I, you know, there's that you walk away with some different than you were before the conversation. Yes. And, um, and I walk away different, maybe uh, if we're open. I couldn't agree with you more. I think a conversation where both people walk away unchanged is a missed opportunity, right? To not even leave with empathy. I actually had Alistair Coburn, who was one of the agile signatories on my podcast, in um, God, my first year, and it was such a such a wild ride talking with Alistair because he's he's agile to the core. He lives it. He was going through some challenges with where he was staying because at the time he was just sort of wandering from Airbnb to Airbnb, running workshops in the world, and just just being a free spirit. And he was like, literally up to the last minute, I didn't know whether or not we were going to have the call, how much time the call was going to be. You know, as soon as we got on the phone, he's like, "How long is this going to be?" And I was like, well, "You know, usually about an hour." He's like, "Let's start with twenty minutes." And I was like, "You know." Like, what's the smallest increment? And I just managed to keep him on the call. One of the things that I really learned from Alistair's work is the origin stories of Agile. From from his perspective, it's like crystal clear. The idea of just like the, the most Agile thing you can have is a complete team in the room where they can 
get things done by walking around and talking. Mm -hmm. And so if our lives are defined by the conversations we can and can't have, this, the corollary of like organizations are defined by the conversations they can or can't have. I've worked with so many organizations where they are literally hampered from talking to each other. You cannot go up over your pay grade to talk to the next person up the chain without creating friction or like, oh, he's he's escalating the conversation. Right? That makes everybody nervous. I'm coaching somebody right now where in order to get things done, she has to go up one level to make sure that there's coverage, there's air cover for the project to happen. But if that she didn't establish in the early stages of the conversation, some of those requirements. And so the people at slightly below her level got nervous. They were like, we don't want to get in trouble. Like you talking to his boss makes him look bad, mm -hmm. right? Like that, that he's not handling what he's supposed to do. And so this is mm -hmm. about the direction of power in conversations. We say up, more powerful, down, you know, top to bottom, mm -hmm. you know, should, should the conversation be from the bottom to the top of the organization or bottom to the top? Agile just says like, okay, we've got a group of people and there should be no hierarchy. It's about solving the problem. And that's a very different design for the conversation than, pardon my French, shit flowing downhill. We're like, well, yeah. the, the higher ups have told us we've got to make these features. So we're making these features, mm -hmm. right? And we're going to make those features and we're not even allowed to tell them we don't think those features are going to work. We're not allowed to tell them we can't do those features in the amount of time we have. Agile is about having a fluid conversation in both directions, ideally, right? Yeah. And you're bringing up this idea of flow, which is, it's not just uh, the flow there is many meanings and definition to the word flow, you know, flow as in how the work flow. Mm. And then there's also the, the flow as in the state of flow when you get in yes. the zone and you're like lost in the in the work that you do or the creative work that you're doing. But you also talk about like the flow of the conversation. There's yes. always this idea that the conversation has to has to go in, in a specific direction. You know, there's <laughs> yeah. the flow is being interrupted or or the there's some sort of a barriers to getting the conversation to flow in different directions. So how do you design a conversation? I, I guess, I mean, that's one of the <laughs> things that you, uh, that you do. And you wrote a book about like, you know, yeah. what's a good way to like structure or be intentional about the conversation so that you can get something beneficial or something that you, like you said earlier, like you don't miss that opportunity of being changed and yeah. or, or changing someone. Yeah. I mean, so there are so many ways to design a conversation. Like there are, agile is a design for a conversation. Mm -hmm. Scrum is a design for a conversation. It's an agenda. It says like, okay, so here are the, the, the rituals, right? And this is the structure and here you go, roll it out. But of course, I mean, there's the famous quote that there's no such thing as a standard implementation of Scrum. And so even the design needs to be adapted for the context. So you can have the best design and Scrum is a great design. It works. Agile is a great design for a conversation, but it needs to be adapted to the context and to the people. And so I think like any other good design process, you have to understand context in the big picture. And so going in with your perfect ideal design without understanding the context and the needs of others, it, it rarely works. Sometimes it works. You can get away with it. And there's some good all-purpose conversation designs. The thing that when we talk about conversations flowing, they are always flowing in one way, which is forward in time, mm -hmm. right? You can't actually stop the flow of time. You can't stop the flow of the conversation. Even if there's like, it feels stuck. We know that feeling of like the conversation feels stuck. It might feel stuck for you, for someone else. It might feel like, 
a pregnant pause, right? And so different people in the conversation can experience the conversation differently. And so we have to understand the people in the conversation and what they want and what they need. The nine elements of the conversation operating system are just nine components that I think are easiest to see and easiest to shift when you're thinking about the structure of a conversation. So if it's stuck, what's stuck about it? What can I shift? It's so slow. Well, can we make it faster? That's like what a sprint tries to do. But we all know that slowing conversations down can make them more intentional, more impactful, deeper, and can clarify misunderstandings very easily. And so to say the best design for a conversation is a sprint is not possible. We can say sprints are an appropriate design when speed is of the essence. But in a coaching conversation, when it's me and one other person, if we spend the whole 90 minutes or two hours when I'm talking to somebody who I'm coaching, where they're just rattling off to-do list items and they're just like churning on problems and we never slow down and say, well, what's the root cause? What do you really want? What's behind that? Why don't you have that now? What does good look like? What can you do? What will you do? Like that's slowing the conversation down and peeling the layers of the onion back. And so how do I design a conversation? The the simple answer is I try to do it intentionally. I try to do it with the people in mind. I try to do it with purpose in mind. I tend to, for my own preference, I do like slowed down conversations, but in groups, I also love fast, messy, lots of breakout rooms, lots of small conversations. I like fluidity in mm -hmm. my conversations. That works for me. It works for some of my clients it makes some people uncomfortable. I'm not yeah. for everybody. And I think that's, you know, why different strokes for different folks, courses for horses, uh, as, as people say, like, so yeah. finding the right facilitator or the right coach for the types of conversations that you want to have mm -hmm. is ideal. Some people really want somebody who's just a, a technical, they're, they're, what they want is tell me the right way to do it. Yeah. There's somebody who's like, yeah. who comes to me and they say, Daniel, I've got an agenda and I want to make it better. Help, help me make these, these agendas better. Like, and that's just very like, uh, first order change. And so I say, okay, sure, here, let's well, let's fix it. Here's why I think this is wrong. They can't necessarily do what I would do. So I also have to understand why they've done it the way they've done it. And so I still have to slow it down. I still have to figure out their why. Yeah. I still need to peel back the layers and I'm still going to put it on them and ask them, well, what do you think is possible? Right. So even when somebody says, fix it for me, I'm going to say, what do you think is possible? Because I can't just give them my designs and have them run them necessarily I, because I think they have to live in them. They have to inhabit. It sounds like in, in a conversation, there may be, you get to wear different hats, the hat of yes. the designer for the conversation and the hat consulting or consultant, and then the coach, uh, coaching yes. hat. I mean, there is different, different ways we, we can take this, but I'm, I'm curious to just to like slow down the conversation here. Why do you think people tend to be uncomfortable with slowing down the conversation? Yeah, that's a really big question. I I, I think um, it's kind of baked into our culture, consumerism, late stage capitalism culture, right? Where um, you are what you produce and what we know in the, is in the knowledge economy, we're knowledge workers. And so I've worked with some big global consulting companies where they are paid to know. Very few of us are paid to not know. I think it was, um, I don't know if it was Eames or Richard Saul Werman, maybe Richard Saul Werman quoted Charles and Charles Eames about this, that if you sell your intelligence, you, there's a limited supply. If you sell your ignorance, now you've got something. There's an infinite <laughs> supply of that. It can be really scary to step into a situation and to not know yeah. and to discover together. This is just my own personal experience. I think people hire me because of an idea. They hire me for an idea that I can help. Me saying I'm here 
as a partner and you're going to do the finding and the learning and the discovering is the best way to get people to learn and discover. And the only way to have that done is to slow down and to think. And that's hard to do. Um, Henry Ford, I shouldn't, it's ideal not to quote racists. Henry Ford was a racist. He was a terrible anti-Semite. Nevertheless, he said, thinking is one of the hardest things there is, which is why most people would rather not do it. We would rather get the answer. And, and here's the thing. It's efficient. I think our brains are have this sort of baked in desire for simplicity and efficiency. Many, many decades ago, I read a book called How to Solve It, which was about mathematical problem solving. And the first step was, has anybody else solved the problem? Oh, yeah. somebody else solved it. Like I can just use their solution. I don't have to solve the problem. Step two is, has somebody solved a similar problem? And can you adapt their solution to your challenge? Right. And yeah. so the step one and step two is like, why would you replicate somebody else's solution if you can just copy it? Mm -hmm. I think the challenge is, is that most, most challenges are complex and uh, most people do better when they find their own way. I may just be projecting. I certainly think that I like to figure things out for myself. I yeah. like to, I like to do step two. I like to adapt other people's solutions and then cobble together my own. That seems right for my context. Mm -hmm. And so I think slowing down is hard because we've got phones in our pockets that are on all the time. Uh, we're always available to people. People are like, you didn't respond to my email from this morning or this hour ago or yesterday, yeah. right? So there's this expectation of like immediacy and that weighs on people. I know it weighs on me, right? I don't know how you feel when I, when I have a podcast that I haven't edited, I'm like, oh my God, like I'm this conversation, like, yeah. Uh, it's got to get out into the world. And I feel that mental pressure. And yeah, so absolutely. it's really hard to um, to do that work of looking inward because our eyes go outward, our ears go outward, our mouth goes outward. We're built to survive. Slowing down and introspecting is the opposite of literally like everything that we've, I think, is baked into us. And so it is fundamentally hard. And I think that's one of the reasons why having a coach, having a thinking partner mm -hmm. can really help slow things down having a framework that somebody else is instituting, shifting the power structure from, I'm going to do what I want to, okay, Salah, you're going to ask me some questions. And if I try to squirm away and go on to the next question, you're going to bring me back to that question and say, let's go a little bit further with that. Because if it was just left to me, let's just take the first answer. Most yeah. of us would just rather take the first answer and then scurry off and get it done. Yeah. Uh, there's an old Buddhist story about that, of the, the conference of the birds. Buddha brought all the birds of the world together to teach them how to make a nest. And they all, he, he sort of started like, okay, get some, some big sticks. And one of the birds was like, okay, cool. I've got it. And they left. And that's how they made their nest. And then he's like, okay, step two. And very, very few of the birds stuck around to hear all of the instructions about how to make a nest to just really just marinate and just hear the whole story before going off and doing things. And that's, yeah. yeah so that's why I think it's hard to slow down. It's, yeah. it's baked into the universe. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, I heard something similar uh, story around like like it's hard to continue to fill uh, an already full cup. Yes. Has, like it's just going to overflow and you're not going to retain anything because yes, if, if yes. So that the, the idea of slowing down is just like to kind of like just let these thoughts and clutter in our minds just go. Like you said, that the perfect example with the podcast, I have the same thing is like when I have an unedited podcast that, that I need to do some production work or edit it it's like almost like this open file in my head that yes I need, yes that uh, a tab or an open tab and like million tabs in my head and i need to close that one yeah um, very much so it is interesting because the time that we live in now is is almost like things that are, that are the pandemic the things that are happening just almost calling us to kind of like slow down and, and just reflect on what's going on 
Yes. And, 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 you know, looking inside to find out what's, what do we want? Like, what is it that we want to mm. do next? I agree. And, and just to clarify, one of the things that I learned in studying conversations is that we see speaking as the, it's the most obvious aspect of conversations. The, the act of speech, speech acts are real acts. And we see doing listening in silence is a very, we, we don't see that as being in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, when I'm talking, I'm participating and listening is, is required. This is the, it's the yin to the yang. And it's just as active of a role to listen and to listen deeply, to listen fully, to listen actively is important. And even more so silence is an aspect of conversations. If there was no silence, the communication would be impossible. And so I think very much a Western idea of being as preferable to non-being in the East philosophy, the story you were talking about with the overflowing cup, it's one of the classic stories from Zen Flesh, Zen Bones, which if people haven't read it, is a wonderful compendium of short Zen stories and the classic story of the man who comes to learn Zen and the Zen master who pours the tea until it's overflowing. And the, the professor says, you know, it's the, the tea is just over. What are you doing? Like, it can't, nothing more can go in. Stop it. And he's like, well, that's just you. I can't teach you what I know unless you empty your cup. And this is the thing in, 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 um, in the Tao, they talk about how a bowl is empty. The emptiness is what we use in the bowl. The bowl is made out of clay. It's being, but if it was just a solid block of clay, if it was all being, and no non-being, no negative space, then it doesn't function. This is a principle actually that I use in designing my conversations. Most people have agendas where it's like, okay, we have these four things to talk about. One, two, three, four. And this is going to take one quarter of the time. This is going to take one quarter of the time. And this is going to take one quarter of the time. And this is going to take one quarter of the time. They're going to run out of time because it actually takes time to shift from one thing to another. You got to welcome people. You got to talk about next actions. Because you actually need all this negative space in the dialogue so that people can move around. So when things go wrong or break that there, we can fix them. So I think, you know, it's kind of ironic, but I think that the main thing I offer to the people who I coach is negative space. Mm-hmm. Two hours, twice a month, at least where all there is to do is to be, I, they don't have to impress me. Like, cause yeah. I don't, you know, they don't work for me. I work for them. They get to bring the agenda and we can push the boundaries as far as they want to go, but it's on their terms, right? It's a dialogue between us and it is space in their lives <laughs> to yeah. go deep and to think it's not for everybody, but it's precious time to have that negative space. And that's not even like having a meditative practice or going biking and not thinking at all. Mm-hmm. Like I cook like to me, like a term turning two eggplants into roasted smithereens while I'm chopping some broccoli like that, that to me, like I'm not thinking at all. I'm just, I'm in flow. I'm just pure being shaving, shaving the stems of broccoli. And I think we need all of that. So when I talk about designing conversations, I think there's this range of conversations that people need to have in their lives in order to function. Certainly as people and definitely as leaders, they need to have all of these conversations. They need to have good designs for them that work for them. The takeaway, uh, uh, for me, from what you're saying, like it's hard to to let go. Everything is like we're designing conversations mm. for uh, efficiency, for you know, cramming as many topics or agenda items as possible, so that we feel like we have accomplished uh, a lot of things, right? Yes. Uh, but it's but it's actually counterintuitive. Like the leaving some space or some silence in the design of the conversation is essential to. <laughs> 
yes. to have a, a better conversation. I agree. And I think this is actually kind of core to some of the thinking in Agile and Lean, mm-hmm. which is just a, a system that has no slack in it, mm-hmm. cannot adapt. Yeah. Yeah. It is hard to be, to fit something when you don't have any, any space, any empty space. It's all it's yeah. all taken. It's all occupied. So there's no room for thinking yes. or innovation or coming up with new ideas or coming up with just, uh, like you said, you know, even even now it feels like, you know, with all the virtual meetings, it's getting even harder. Yes, uh, it is. And that's because every conversation needs to be scheduled. Right? So um, my mom likes to say, she's like, well, Daniel, I don't always want to design my conversations. I quote her like pretty much in every, she always comes up because she gets it. She listens to almost all my interviews and she, I want to have her on my show to like summarize everything she's learned about conversation design because she's learned a lot, which is amazing to be able to teach your mother anything. It's a privilege to be sure. It warms yeah. my heart. It's like, you know, I was listening to that your conversation with so-and-so. They are really amazing. Like that was, I was like, wow, that's so cool. It just blows my heart to pieces. It makes me so happy. Um, but she says, I don't always want to be designing my conversations. And I'm like, that's a design choice. To, to say like in the next room on the other side of this wall, my newly married wife is, she, she has a job that where she was there for like two months before they went off to Zoom land. Mm-hmm. And so she's learning on the job. And if she wants to reach out inside of the organization and, and she has to network really intentionally, she has to set up all those calls. She has to grab people and say, like, hey, let's have like a Zoom lunch together. She can't just walk over to somebody's desk and say like, hey, what do you think of such and such? Like, can I, that impromptu conversation that Alistair was talking about is the essence of agility. Yeah. The ability to to design by walking around, you can't do. That is, our lives are defined by the conversations we can and can have. And the lack of the ability to have impromptu conversations is hard when A, we are all 100% spoken for and 80% of our time is already in meetings. Yeah. You know, what is it like? I think five to 12 hours a week is the is the number for like managers. Maybe I think it's even more. So like 12, I mean, I think it's probably more. I don't know if that figure is accurate yeah. anymore because 12 would only be like a third of the time and it does not feel like a third of the time is in meetings. It feels like a lot more. Yeah. How do you have an impromptu conversation with somebody? That's what I was thinking recently, or we had this uh, impromptu conversation or or this just like running into someone or or just uh, walking, uh, you know, taking a break and yeah, and uh, walking around and, and that would be our thinking space or time to just, yeah. to, you know, process things. But now it's like back to back to back. And now we have to become more intentional about designing these conversations Absolutely. or designing yeah. our time for the negative space or the empty space. So so what have you found to be good ways of designing that? I mean, mm. obviously the obvious answer is just block some time off of your calendar and and be intentional about it. But yeah. is there anything else that... Uh, Secret meetings, right? That's the classic. I mean, so I think community is actually one of the most powerful ways to design your your time and your conversations. So I'm really lucky to, my, my cousin, Jeremy Redleaf, who I absolutely adore, started a community called Cave Day. Cave Day started a couple of years ago as an in-person, I don't know, work accountability gathering. I remember the very first one, you got into a circle with 40 people. We did a, it was almost like a scrum stand-up meeting where we said, like, what are we working on? What percent done are we? And and uh, that was it, like our name. Yeah, I'm Daniel. I'm working on my book outline. I'm 20% done. That was it. And like you, then you just sat down, you did work sprints and the emotional, uh, the positive emotional pressure of being in a room 
full of other people who are also working diligently and intently was so powerful. It's palpable. Pop up out of your workflow and you look around and be like totally quiet and you'd be like, okay, I better get back to work, I guess. Yeah. And it used to be just Sundays and now it's online. And they started doing, you know, during the week and now there's they're on Zoom constantly to pop into a Zoom call and to get that kind of focus and accountability for just a couple of hours can be amazing. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're pretty bad. Uh, I don't know about you. I'm pretty, I'll just use I statements. I am pretty bad at accountability to myself. Accountability yeah. to others, slightly better, right? So that's why the yeah. podcast is great. We're like, geez, I got to pot, I got to post this, right? Because yeah. so-and-so it'll be so embarrassing if I never post this to this, you know, I will never be able to talk to this person again. <laughs> yeah. This is my internal dialogue. I'm sure it's yours. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like, oh, I should write a blog post a week, mm -hmm. right? There's no accountability for that. And so the design for the conversation is actually taking uh, one of the OS element in the conversation OS canvas is power, where we're actually shifting power. We're giving up power. We're saying the group has power over me. Now, obviously that can have dangerous extremes when we give total power to the group, which you have as a cult. Um, and that can be extremely dangerous. But in this case, Cave Day, very positive cult, a cult of accountability, a cult of work, a cult of community and 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 um, you know empowerment. And so giving over some of that time, you know, and so when I book a Cave Day for that week, when somebody says, hey, can you do a check-in call um, Wednesday at 1030? I'll say, I can't. Now, if I had booked the, that three-hour meeting for, with myself, I'm, I would very, very likely violate it, Yeah. especially if it was a client, mm -hmm. unless I was had other actual paying client work, unless I was actually in session with, with somebody I'm coaching or running a workshop. If somebody says, hey, Daniel, can you meet at this time? I was like, I'm sorry, I'm booked. I can't. I literally can't meet with you. I'm in another workshop. Even if they were paying me double, I, you know, like I couldn't do that to somebody else. We spent, you know, spent weeks booking that workshop. There's a dozen people signed up, all this stuff. Like I can't cancel it. Three hours with myself. Hey, can you? Sure. Now with cave day, when I've got those three hours booked, if it's really important, I can cancel it, but there's just more friction because I've given up the power. There is some accountability. I've shifted the dynamics of the conversation. It's not just me in the conversation anymore. There's other people who I'm, who I'm accountable to. I'm giving them power. And so that's something that I think can really shift conversations is bringing other people into it. That's definitely something I've seen as well is just like going to the library. Like, you know, you're going to yes. the library, even though you're not like, you feel that the space has this intense focus. Someone is reading, someone is writing, someone is studying. Yes. So there is others around that kind of support yes. that mental space. So um, at, at a granular level, and I just want to put a pin in whatever you're going to ask next, but in terms of how we are redesigning or shifting the conversation, the elements in the conversation operating system that we are designing is space. If you change the space, you change the conversation, right? Yeah. When somebody says, hey, can we have class outside? The teacher says, no, we can't have class outside. You, none of you will be paying attention outside. Everything, all the papers will flow, fly everywhere in the wind. Yeah. Going outside to have a walk and to talk with somebody is a great way of changing the conversation. Hey, yeah. this seems really tense. Let's all go for a walk. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a great way to change the conversation. Going to the library, there's a different energy there. You can't yeah. talk. There's, there's, we are not allowed to talk in the library. And so we don't talk. And, yeah. and similarly, by bringing different people into the, the conversation, we change the dialogue. These are ways to, we can apply this to any other conversation. This is at least my thesis is that these things are true across all conversations, changing the place, changing the space, changing the people, changing power. These are ways to durably shift the way conversations happen with intentionality. Yeah. Probably familiar with open space and kind sure. of like the, yeah. the law of mobility, uh, you know, walking to places where you can add mm -hmm. value or contribute value or have a voice. And there is also the, in coaching, there is this idea of geography, like 
changing the space or changing the location yes. can give you different perspectives, different view or angle to see things. Yes. Locating the conversation in space can help too. Putting the different voices in our head around us. Open space is a wonderful and durable design for a conversation. The four principles of open space, right? Whoever comes are the right people. Whenever it starts is the right time. Whatever has happened is the only thing that can happen. When it's over, it's over. Those are great principles. You talk about how to design a conversation. Those are print design principles mm -hmm. that are true for a birthday party. Like what if nobody comes? Like whoever yeah. comes are the right people, honey. Yeah. Those are your real friends. But we don't have that feeling. We're like, oh my God, what if nobody comes to the party, right? And open space is, I, I call it Buddhism for facilitators. It's like whoever comes are the right people. It's like inner peace, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the ideas are very, like there is a lot of different, ideas that point to that place. We're not designed to be sitting all the time going yes. from one meeting to the next. It's just no. not humanly possible. It's not sustainable. So being intentional about the design of the conversation and having that empty space, having the accountability, having the people yes. can help us have a better conversation you know, yes. bring something more useful to the space. So is there anything that you've noticed that get in the way of being more intentional about the conversation? Mm. Um, you know, whether it's a, the culture or leaders who really don't have time, so they kind of model that to everyone. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I was running a workshop on conversational leadership a couple of weeks ago in Bangkok, virtually, <laughs> as one does. And it came out that it was really interesting. This one woman was talking about how when she pulls back, when she creates more space for her team, they step forward and they fill the vacuum and they, they exert their will. But when she's around, they sort of look up and say, is this right? Should we be doing this? Like, mm -hmm. are we allowed to? And so I, and she's like, I would love for them to do the first way all the time. But there's, yeah. there's this, I don't know if it's baked into the culture, the higher, like higher, a uh, hierarchical, like, are we tribal by nature? I, I don't know. Like, do we seek to be, to be told what to do or is it cooked into us by the culture? And so this yeah. idea that like, she wants her team to take more power. She wants her team to, to step up and telling them to step up doesn't necessarily help them step up stepping back helps them step up mm. so i think this is i think leaders 100 percent teach teams how they want to them to participate in the conversation in modeling stepping back is modeling trust which hopefully can flow down quote unquote down into the organization where more people feel empowered and trusted to do and to act as they believe or see fit it's non-trivial which is very similar to what you mentioned earlier about being a consultant versus a coach or or mm. telling someone what to do versus versus, you know, helping them reflect and finding the answers yes. that they already have, but they haven't really taken the time making, make, they haven't made the space to do that. Yeah. And so it's very similar in a, in a coaching conversation is, is that if the person is constantly asking or the coach is in that space where they tell people or tell the person, oh, here's what you need to do or what you can do, it deprives that person from learning and growing very much so in in design and ux design we we have this there's a term called de-skilling the user like if you mm -hmm. make something so easy for them they don't learn how to do certain things for themselves and mm -hmm. you know we found this ourselves like who knows how to do arithmetic anymore right we have a calculator i ask alexa to do my multiplication like all the time it's super embarrassing right because we, we we've lost the skill in doing it and so similarly i think stepping back is a skill right it's something that we all need to practice stepping back so that others can step forward and step up yeah yeah, so stepping forward and stepping back, stepping up, 
it's a lot of, you know, a lot of it's common sense sounds easy, but it, but it's not. It isn't because leaders often feel a response. They are responsible for results. Mm -hmm. And so this is, this is the issue, right? This is the crux of the matter where this, and I think the conversation you're referring to is like, maybe before we pressed record of like, am I a consultant where I'm responsible for knowing the results, knowing the outputs, or am I a facilitator, a coach where I evoke or pull things out from people. Mm -hmm. And I think they look almost exactly the same until the last minute where you as a participant in the conversation say, based on everything that I've heard from you all, I actually believe that this is the right way to go. Now, we don't know who has the right to decide who has decision rights in the group. Is it the leader? Is the leader ultimately responsible and accountable for things? In which case they might feel nervous yeah. if the group is doing something that maybe won't work. You know, if it's going to like, if there's a, if there's a 60, 40% chance it's going to work, even then they might feel a little nervous. And so I think trusting the team when it's your life and your bonus and your reputation on the line, this is where people step forward and they start taking control. The problem is, is that's a short-term strategy. In the short term, it's satisfying and efficacious. In the long term, it means you're doing more work more and more. Because like you said, we start to de-scale the team because they will sense, and I have been on this, the, the receiving end of this, you sense that your work doesn't actually matter that much. And so you slowly pull back and do less and less and less. And that means that the leader has to push harder and harder. And so it's a negative cycle. And this is, this is why organizations hire consultants all the time of like, well, how do we get the conversation back on track? How do we reboot the conversation? And we have to start from the beginning with rules and expectations and goals and really having the conversations that we could have been having the whole time. So it's back full circle to designing the conversation. Yeah, and, oh, so uh, much so. <laughs> this has been an amazing uh, conversation. I appreciate your time here. Is there anything else that you want to share, like a takeaway hmm. uh, or something that you want to leave us with? Yeah, I mean, like, I love that you started with the opening words of the book. Our lives are defined by the conversations we can or can't have. And I go on to talk about how organizations are also similarly designed by the conversations they can or can't have. Mm. And leadership is the ability to design the conditions for a transformative, a surprising conversation. And I think if there's one thing I can leave people with is that conversations are worth designing and that you can design them and the world desperately needs you to do it. Absolutely. I'm thinking we might need to do like a part two. Sure. Most of the time people avoid conversation, especially when it's a difficult conversation. So mm. that's probably like a, a how to design a difficult conversation <laughs> could be something yeah. that we can explore uh, next. Oh, happily. And um, people can also uh, download a couple of free chapters of the book at theconversationfactory.com slash good talk, which is the name of the book. And there's some handouts that they can download from that yeah. from that URL as well. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll put the links in the in the uh, notes. And uh, I, I love the name of the book, Good Talk, <laughs> Design <laughs> Conversations That Matter. So appreciate you taking the time and uh, so sharing much. your thoughts on designing a conversation. Thank you. Thank Daniel. you. So, thank you so much. The, the, the title was a conversation too. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> this was Good Talk. <laughs> thank you, man. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you for listening. I hope this conversation gave you something to think about or take action on. Remember, take action and get clarity, then repeat.